Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey, my name is Cole Cabana. I'm a podcaster, but most importantly, I'm a professional wrestler. I know this is an earwolf feed. You guys didn't sign up for any professional wrestling, but let me say something. If you don't think the genre of professional wrestling doesn't mix unbelievably well with a podcasting network based off of comedy, well, then that's your problem. Also, I'm not just a professional wrestler. I'm a comedian. My genre of wrestling is comedic professional wrestling. I'm one of you guys. I've been featured on WTF, Doug Loves Movies, The Chris Gethard Show. Every August, I go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and I perform a wrestling comedy show. But my background, my true love, is wrestling. I've been wrestling going on 18 years now. And although I did have a cup of coffee in the WWE, I pride myself on the independent alternative wrestling scene. I've wrestled in some of the most unconventional places, including the Gathering of the Juggalos, which I have an audio documentary that you can listen to on Howl. But the Pro Wrestling Fringe series isn't about me. It's a storytelling podcast about some of the most bizarre, weird, wacky things that have happened in the world of wrestling. And not mainstream stuff like stories about John Cena or The Rock. I'm presenting to you short, post-produced stories like about the time Ted Turner took a failing over-seven-foot giant from Argentina who couldn't cut it in the NBA and then threw him into his professional wrestling league. Or what about the wrestling promotion in Japan that's subtitled Super Handicapped Professional Wrestling? where you can buy a ticket to watch a wrestler with cerebral palsy fight another wrestler who's paralyzed from the waist down. I'll even tell you about the greatest comedian that you've never even heard about. He wasn't a stand-up, he didn't do sketch, he didn't train at the UCB. He was a professional wrestler. Stories like this that you probably have never heard before, that you could just listen to on your commute and enjoy. To hear all these stories and the complete archives of my podcast, The Art of Wrestling, sign up at Howell.fm. Use my promo code COLT. Listen for free for a month. You've always heard of the weird community of professional wrestling fans. Well, now you're one of them. And we love having you. Enjoy the stories. Thanks. I'm professional wrestler Colt Cabana. This is Pro Wrestling Fringe. Unique stories from a unique genre. I make a living wrestling on the outskirts of televised professional wrestling. I've wrestled at fat camps, dirt patches in India. I've wrestled for the Inuits in the northernmost part of Canada. I've wrestled on the border towns in Mexico with the Aborigines in Australia. From entertaining the hipsters mixing lucha, burlesque, and cheap beer to the ICP fans at the Gathering of the Juggalos. I have one of the oddest and most diverse resumes in my profession. The Pro Wrestling Fringe podcast is about sharing the bizarre stories Not that have happened to me, but that have been told in the locker rooms and spread from generation to generation. And that's what they are. Stories. Unique stories from a unique genre. 
On this episode, Rob Naylor and I collaborate to introduce you to a giant in the world of wrestling that you probably haven't heard of. Or maybe you have, and not for the right reasons. Directly after, I talk to Rob about why he chose this topic, and then we further the discussion. So now, sit back and enjoy today's story, A Giant Expectation. I don't think it's any secret that pro wrestling is pretty synonymous with big dudes. I'd imagine at first you think of the the Greek god stereotype, the Adonis, you know, 6'5", chiseled physique, golden tan, blah, blah, blah. Second thought, though, the actual big dudes, the abnormally tall, the huge ones, the giants. In the world of pro wrestling, nobody comes close to Andre the Giant. He's far and away the best that we've ever had. Andre was a legit box office draw. He was he was legendary. He was a household name. He was everything you could ever ask for out of a giant in the world of professional wrestling. The bigger, the better. Fans loved and love giant wrestlers. It's an attraction that people have paid to see for years. There's been wrestlers like the Big Boss Man, Giant Baba, Haystacks Calhoun. You could probably use any synonym for the word big. There's a wrestler out there with that name. These types of wrestlers, they'd walk out from behind the curtain, down an aisleway where they towered over the fans cheering them on, then they'd get into a ring where they'd be elevated even more into the awe of the crowd's amazement. These men are spectacles. Andre, he was a spectacle. And in the 1970s and 80s, Andre was on top of the wrestling world. When it came to big guys, he was it. But as Andre's career moved forward... And he got older and slower, let's be honest, drunker. There came a realization that he wasn't going to last forever. There would need to be a successor to the throne of the largest attraction that wrestling had ever seen. Imagine being a wrestling promoter. You, you're a wrestling promoter. And now I tell you that there's a man out there who's not only bigger than Andre... But he dwarves him by almost a whole foot. And remember how big Andre the Giant was. There's a man out there who not only dwarves Andre the Giant by a whole foot, this man is an athlete, a professional athlete. He's a giant professional athlete who can easily make that transition from the field to the ring. Well, guess what, listener, pretending to be a wrestling promoter? They found him. And his name was Jorge Gonzalez. Weighing a legitimate 435 pounds, Jorge was a legit 7 foot 7 inches. And unlike Andre, who had been discovered in a completely foreign land and brought over to the States, Argentina's Jorge Gonzalez was already living in America. A basketball star in his home country so much, the NBA scouts were quick to find him and bring him to America with the idea that he changed the face of the NBA and basketball itself. Gonzalez, who the Atlanta Hawks took with the 54th selection in the 1988 NBA draft, suffered a severe knee injury that would never really allow his basketball career to flourish. But fate would have it that the owner of the Atlanta Hawks at the time was a billionaire named Ted Turner, who also just so happened to own World Championship Wrestling, which at the time was a very important program on Teddy's Superstation TBS. 
Turner was a media mogul. He was an entrepreneur. He saw nothing but huge dollar signs in the idea of taking Gonzalez out of those polycotton basketball shorts and putting on those spandex wrestling trunks. It had all the makings of a winning idea. Now, in the past, men larger than Andre attempted to make their mark on the industry, but usually they were, I don't know, they were morbidly obese or just simply not motivated enough to truly learn the finer points of what made a truly great or even just an adequate pro wrestler. But Gonzalez was different. He came from the world of professional athletics. He was humble. He was hungry. He was coachable. And just like the X's and O's of the basketball court, they teach him the ins and outs of the wrestling ring. World Championship Wrestling at the time wasn't thriving. And Gonzalez was their lottery draft pick who was to turn their organization around. On original wrestling scouting reports, Gonzalez was touted as having remarkable speed and athletic ability that would make even Andre look lead-footed by comparison. It was noted that at the time, Gonzalez's English was coming along very well and that his initial in-ring training with veteran wrestler Dave Fidel Sierra was going very well for someone with limited experience. And eventually, Gonzalez made his in-ring debut at the Great American Bash 1990 as part of a six-man tag team match. Rechristened El Gigante tagged up with fan favorites Paul Orndorff and the Junkyard Dog. Their team would take on the Dastardly Horsemen comprising of Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Sid Vicious. Which was a very big spotlight. All men, legitimate stars within the industry. Gonzalez got in there, he mixed it up, he looked imposing, the bad guys ran for their lives, and the aura of El Gigante was actually a believable one. To the untrained eye, that is. To the casual viewer. To keen observers and hardcore pro wrestling fans, Igante's actions, or lack thereof, pretty transparent. While Gonzalez was quite agile in his formative basketball days, his knee injury hampered his mobility, his English never really truly came along, his American interviews were, were weird, man. They were, they just consisted of the same phrase over and over again. I won the belt. That's that's what it was. I want the belt. Just he just keeps saying it. I want I want the belt. I mean, it was the late '80s, and he was basically an eight-foot version of the Olsen twins from Full House. Sadly, uh, I want the belt. Never never quite swept the nation like you got it, dude. But here's the thing: seven foot seven pro wrestlers don't grow on trees. So Igante, he continued to wrestle with little to no improvement. You know, whether he was wrestling his trainer, travel partner, interpreter, Dave Sierra, or battling other large wrestling opponents such as six foot nine Sid Vicious, or the six foot eight, four hundred fifty pounds one man gang, one thing was always consistent. Poor performance. And I hate to say that because wrestling it's subjective. It's art. It's an art form. But Gonzalez, whew, he wasn't that good of an artist. He just wasn't able to make it on the American wrestling scene. So he did what seems to be every wrestler's plan B after failing in the U.S. market. He went to Japan, where he basically got booed out of most buildings. Gonzalez would have one more true chance at stardom. The WWF has always been known as a big man territory. Vince McMahon loves them big guys, and he's always had the mindset that he can make anyone a star. Anyone. 
So certainly the genius of Vince McMahon and his affinity for creative ideas and character branding could turn around the fortunes of Jorge Gonzalez, right? Right? It was 1993. One of WWF's flagship pay-per-view events, the Royal Rumble, and Gonzalez would make his debut in a major way. He debuted by attacking the legendary Undertaker. And if Gonzalez was going to make his splash in the largest domestic wrestling company in the world, well, this would be his best opportunity. Weeks and weeks of television were written and played out to hype up Gonzalez versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 9, the largest event of the year. The match on paper was a mega match. It was a true battle of the Titans. And out came Gonzalez, who for some reason was now wearing an airbrushed bodysuit with fur all around it, but he came out and he wrestled The Undertaker, WrestleMania 9, outdoors in the hot Vegas sun with a bizarre Roman Coliseum backdrop. And the match, the match was, the match was not good. I mean, I mean, I mean, really, it was, right? In a business of second and third chances, Gonzalez, he seemed to use his last one up. Gonzalez would go on to wrestle sparingly in the following two years, but failing health and even more regressing skills combined to cut this giant man's career a little short before it even really got started. Gonzalez, he'd eventually relocate to his native Argentina in the following years, sadly passing away from diabetes-related complications at the age of 44. Jorge Gonzalez is a story of a man that made a career in pro wrestling mostly built around what could be high hopes, anticipation. But sometimes the expectations people want you to live up to are just too large. Even for someone who's nearly eight feet tall. Invincible. So now I'm joined here by Rob Naylor, who helped put this together with me. And I'm excited to have you talk on this subject. I think you are a little more excited than I am. Uh, where does your infatuation with Eleganti? Because that's what this was, right? We, we we decided on things to talk about, and you were like, I've been recently really infatuated with Eligante. Can we do an Eligante one? Eligante was someone who someone who the after mags really promoted hard, and I was a diehard after mag reader. And whether it was Mil Mascaris before him or Kerry Von Erich or Billy Jack Haynes, I was going to be a fan of this guy because I read that he had this agility and this speed and he was going to change wrestling. And again, I was also a WCW fanatic, so I wanted them to have anything possible on their roster to help them uh, supplant WWF at the time. And it just didn't work. And I knew it. Almost from the start when he came out with his ridiculous outfit and helped Sting and RoboCop. Uh, can you give us some examples of just, I guess, as we saw Eligante's career, maybe in WCW slide, what were kind of the, the points? Oh, man. I remember Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan and the one-man gang attacked Eligante, and they couldn't even do the classic 
the heel holds the ba- the good guy down and the big fat guy jumps on him splash correctly because Elegante was too big to fit into the ring properly. So he was all jankied out and it was just a bizarre visual and it, it didn't even register with the fans. So he couldn't even get heat if he tried. I thought one of the interesting things was didn't make it in America, went to Japan. I can only assume somebody saw him and said, this guy needs to be in Japan. Maybe a Japanese wrestler, is that correct? Elegante, toward the end of his career, had a short stint in Tenru's WAR group, and uh, I believe he may have wrestled Koji Katao, which was just, I can't fathom how bad that might have been. He had a match, which I know for sure Typhoon or Fred Ottman or the Shockmaster or Tugboat was involved in. Some of the worst stuff and and, in the worst six man tag team match of potentially all time. Did you feel bad for Elegante after everything kind of went wrong for him? It didn't, it seemed like he did not hit one high point in the world of professional wrestling. I I did feel bad for Elegante. And if you ever watch uh, his performance in Baywatch on the Pelican Man episode, you will see. That Eligante's acting acumen only was matched by his wrestling acumen, and I think you'd really get a kick out of watching. Rob Naylor, I appreciate your infatuation with Eligante and helping us out with this story. No problem. Thank you very much. Rob Naylor has a monthly column in FSM Magazine, along with an in-depth, obscure interview series at HighSpots.com called Hitting the High Spots with Rob Naylor. You can follow him on Twitter at N-I-Nailer. This episode of the show is edited and produced in my lovely studio, apartment in Chicago, Illinois. Theme music is Invincible by Def Kev. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Cold Cabana. Listen to my free weekly podcast, The Art of Wrestling, where I sit down with a different wrestler each week in person in a different locker room all over the world to figure out the struggles and triumphs in their personal careers. ColtMerch.com is where you can buy a Colt t-shirt of the award-winning Wrestling Road Diaries series that I star in and produce. ColtCabana.com is my website where you can find all my links and even see what crazy part of the world I'll be wrestling in next. I also invite you to buy a t-shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com, supporting independent and fringe wrestlers all over the world. Thanks for listening to this episode on Howl.fm. Be sure to check out all the other shows, comedy albums. Mark Marin interviewed the President of the United States. I'm sure you knew that. This has been Pro Wrestling Fringe. For Colt Cabana, I'm Colt Cabana. Thanks. This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. 
Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que nos está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aquí Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. O donde sea. Spanish Aquí Presents. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.